everybody. Welcome to In the Key of D, using digital to transform your business. It's a show that explores why digital matters and how it helps entrepreneurs, business leaders, and digital and marketing professionals make their businesses better. I'm your host, Kathy Hollenhorst, President and CEO of Creatus, and joining me is my co-host, Gino Giovanelli, who is a leading digital marketing expert and an award-winning professor at the University of St. Thomas. In the Key of D is proudly sponsored by Creatus, the go-to digital marketing resourcing firm that helps companies across the Twin Cities get more work done. Creatus does that through a unique combination of solutions, including on-site staffing and outsourced project work in the Creatus studio. Welcome everyone. Today's episode will focus on some of the challenges that businesses who are doing digital transformation face, especially those relating to finding and engaging the right people. We will also dive deep into what it means to move from a project to a product orientation. And joining us today to do all that is Jen Swanson, who was recently VP of Digital Product at Optum, which of course is part of the United Health Group family. And Jen also previously held marketing, advocacy, and operations roles at the University of Minnesota, Capella University, and Children's Hospital and Clinics of Minnesota. Jen now is a highly respected business advisor and is founder and principal of a consulting practice. So Gino, Jen is absolutely one of my favorite people in all the world, and I'm thrilled that she can join us today. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Kathy. I I don't know Jen, so I'm looking forward to this segment. And welcome, Jen, to our program. Thank you. All right, Jen, we're going to get started uh, big picture, and we'd like to ask all of our guests, um, how do you define digital transformation? Well, that's the $65,000 question, isn't it? I mean, that's that's what I think lots of companies are trying to really grapple with. And from my perspective, I'll tell you, I think that it's bordering on becoming an overused phrase, right? Something that just gets tossed around and put on slide decks to say that we're doing, we're, you know, I'm using air quotes, you can't see me, but we're doing digital, right? And, um, and I think that, uh, that it is risking non-meaning, but I'm going to work hard to make sure that it retains meaning because it's really central to the work that I do. And I think it's really critical for, for businesses. So my, from my perspective, digital transformation is a way to describe the shift from thinking about digital as something that supports the strategy of a business or a company to the di- to digital being the strategy, right? Like thinking about how technology really uh, accelerates business, whether that's using outwardly facing tools. So, you know, if you're a products and services company, how do you think about e-commerce tools or, you know, digital experiences, um, you know, collaborative experiences, digital engagement, keeping your customers close, uh, close into the product and the product set. But it also for me, and I think for a lot of companies also encompasses those internal tools, the things like data and analytics platforms, CRM, tools that accelerate operations or that connect sort of that end to end business flow of information or processes and how technology sort of supports that. Well, you know, Jen, regardless of how we define it, it seems like everybody's saying that it's it's so many different things in a very complicated and complex sort of environment. Um, so what do you think is the biggest upside for businesses to undertake digital transformation? Because it's not for the, the weak of heart by any stretch. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. And I think, you know, for companies that are doing it 
um, well, right, that are really doing more than just putting it on their board report, that they're doing digital, that it is about, first and foremost, meeting customer expectations. Um, and I say meeting pretty consistently because it's, it's amazing to me how many brands fail to meet my expectations, right? And you hear about that all the time. Why can't this company just make this easier? I want to give you my money. Why is it so hard for me to do that? <laughs> you know? Right. And I think that that can be, that that's true in, in B2C, it's B, B2B across the board. So I think first and foremost, it's about meeting the customer experience uh, sort of expectation of your of your users. Right. But then hopefully it's about moving past just meeting and it's about exceeding and sort of that surprise and delight factor where you really right. are going above and answering the unmet needs that maybe even consumers don't know they have. So I think that is, for me, the first and foremost sort of um, uh, uh, upside to it. But I think that there is huge operational effectiveness and efficiency gains to be uh to be had. And you know what? The one for me that I, I do not, I, I try not to overlook at all is employee experience. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all read the customer experience books that, you know, a decade or more ago were sort of the, the hot business books, right? Where it was all about if you have happy employees, you're going to have happy customers. So thinking about the pain points that employees have, how hard sometimes companies make it to do their jobs and the way that digital tools can start to drive that kind of operational effectiveness right. also then has the opportunity to boost employee satisfaction and employee experience, which then just like, you know, that rising tide lifts all boats kind of concept. Got it. Um, and then I think the last upside that I try real hard to, to hit with my clients is ROI on technology investment. And I think that the shift in digital transformation, and I know we're going to talk about that shift from project to product is about getting more of that ROI, getting more juice from the squeeze, right? On that investment, because you're thinking about digital again, less of something that is a a box to be checked and more of, you know, core business strategy that you're thinking about and you're changing sort of how internal processes and operations change when those digital tools are put in place. You know, Jen, and particularly right now in, with the economy softening a little bit and every company, big company, medium sized, small, are, are looking at where their investments are going, are trying to manage mm-hmm. their cash flow to, to stay liquid. So now more than ever, your suggestion that isn't about the big $2 million technical platform. How do you, you know, you start small and, and get it going and, and, and test and learn as you go. And that, that certainly is one of the upsides. For sure. So, Jen, I loved how you just talked about that meeting of ex- expectations as one of the, the major upside opportunities. Feels like table stakes a little bit. I mean, this isn't like a yeah. Uh, uh, this isn't a new thing, or even getting the ROI on your tech investments and 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 happy cu- happy employees make happy customers. Um, all this seems like yeah. Um, but what, what's the biggest thing holding companies back? Why why are we not able to move from slide 66 that says, hey, we're shifting to actually being able <laughs> to, to make the shift? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think here's the reality is it's hard. And I think, you know, back when digital transformation was the big buzzword, right? Hey, we're transforming digital transformation. Everyone, I think, thought that they could sort of take that whatever off-the-shelf platform or whatever, do a couple tweaks, uh, uh, plug it in and go, right? I always say it's not a toaster, right? You don't get to just take it out of the box, plug it in and say, well, that's done. Let's go on to the next thing. Um, So I think that that is, I think, first of all, it's, it's a lot harder than it seems because, you know, if I had a nickel for every time I heard it, uh, 
certain executives say, can't we just, can't we just, <laughs> you know, can't we just put in Salesforce and like, why does it have to be so hard? And you just like, you know, after you hit your head on the desk a little bit, you're you have to talk to them about the fact that like, this is, this is about new ways of working, right? You can't just say, okay, all of our business processes and all of our, you know, how we fund things inside of our company and how we staff work and how we think about the end-to-end flow of work across our company can't stay the same. And then you plug in this toaster over here and say, yep, we've done digital. Digital transformation really is about changing all of those things. And I think it's really easy to think about digital transformation as being something that happens in IT or, you know, maybe in marketing, maybe a little bit in customer service. But like, You know, most companies, when I go in and I talk to them, I say, well, how is your finance organization involved in your digital transformation? Mm -hmm. And and nine times out of ten, I get crickets, right? And what really turns out is that you have to have finance at the table because how you're going to fund these platforms and these products on on an ongoing basis is going to require finance to move away from the once a year, you show up with your hand open and you say, I would like... $2 $2 million, please, or $500,000, please, to do this project. And finance says, yep, sure, here you go, and off you go. Like, that's not how you – you cannot <laughs> fund digital investment this way anymore. You've got to think about it in terms of how you run the business on these technology platforms. So that's just one example of, like, this idea of, like, business actually has to change. And that, I think, fundamentally, Gino, is what is keeping people from really making that transformation because they, they, they haven't thought of it as an organizational change right. in the way that they need to. Right. Thanks. So, Jen, you and I have – gotten a chance to talk about this evolution, and I know Mm -hmm. it's really at the core of what you do, from project to product management and that orientation and focus. So uh, what does that mean? Tell us more about that. Well, so um, I was actually Googling last night. I use this quote all the time, and I will admit I have no idea who said it, except for I know who said it to me once about, you know, five years ago. And it's a friend of mine from Capella named, uh, a guy named Jason Scherzlicht, who's very smart, um, said to me, uh, projects and products endure. And I thought he invented it. Turns out he didn't. He stole it from someone else who stole it from <laughs> someone else. So it's, it's an old one, but I'm going to credit Jason with it anyways. We'll give it but to you now. Right. It's this idea that, you know, standard project, and, and I can't help but go to um, the operating model of like a waterfall project mm-hmm. management. You start at the beginning, you get your requirements, you say, we're going to do this thing. It's going to cost us this much money. This is what we're going to get out of it. Um, this is, you know, these are, this is the bells and whistles we're going to get. And that's when you go to finance and say, I'd like, you know, I'd like my $2 million, please. And you go off and a team goes off and works on it. And they have a long, you know, long list of stuff they got to get done. And maybe they're working on it over six, 12, 18 months. And then at the end of it, everybody who's worked on that project goes back to something else. They're on to the next project. And think about like all of the things they learned in those six, 12, 18 months about the thing that they built or the thing that they created, whether it's a technology platform or a business process or anything else. And so that project mindset is broken in a couple of different ways. One is that usually it doesn't involve, you know, you might ask your customers up front or your users, again, it might be employees or your users up front what they want, and then you tell them what they got on the other end, but there's no interaction or iterative sense of anything in the middle, right? And so if you've gone astray somewhere, if you've made a critical flaw or decision, it oftentimes is too late to do anything about it by the time you know that you have made that mistake. Right, right. 
So, and then, you know, at the end of it, like I say, you lose all of this knowledge and like this inherent knowledge. And, and I think like, you know, whatever you've built now doesn't get to evolve. Maybe you get a couple of weeks or months of like warranty work on it to kind of tweak it and make sure that it's working well. But then it goes, you know, people go off and worry about other things and no one is charged with owning that thing that you built. Um, nurturing it. I know it sounds kind of silly, but like, you know, digital platforms stop uh, evolving the moment you stop working on them. I know that that's shocking <laughs> for lots of people <laughs> to realize, but, it, but you know, it doesn't like it. It's not, it, these are not sentient beings. They're not learning and growing on their own. So if you want it to grow with your business, someone has to be in charge with helping it grow with your business. Well, and it's, they're and changing. Really so, what was that? They're cha- sorry, they're, they're changing so fast. I mean, it's like the child <laughs> yeah. who is, you know, every day they show up and they're a different child because there's new, new technology that's applying to it. So that nurturing exactly. idea. So now I'll go to the product. So in, yep. you know, so that's good on the project side, but talk a little bit more on what product management in digital looks like. So product management really um, is about pulling that idea of agility. And I know we want to talk about Agile, um, but <laughs> Agile as a software development tool it has really transformed IT, right? And IT teams to really think about how can they build software faster. But Agile uh, software development isn't the same thing as Agile product management. What what Agile product management does or product management generally does is it pulls that sense of agility and that sort of rapid iteration, small bets placed often out of IT and into the business. And it requires the business then to orient around itself, whether that's, you know, I think the team of a, or the, the role of a product manager is really misunderstood and often overlooked of someone who understands the business and the market Mm -hmm. and the customer or the user. Sometimes those are the same people, sometimes they're not. And they can take all of that information and they're really good synthesizers, right? To be able to pull all of that information together and break it down into a prioritized list of things you want to build and try and test and refine. And so having someone who owns that product, right, is charged with tending to that product or platform and says, okay, we know where we're going. We know where True North is, right? And we've got a team, a product team of folks from IT, of course, and business and operations and probably marketing who are here. And that product manager or product owner is charged with really leading that team through influence, not necessarily through direct reporting to say, okay, this is where North is. This is where we're going to go. And these are the steps we're going to take. And we're going to engage the user and the customer sort of at all steps. And what that does is that creates, instead of a beginning, middle, and an end, what that creates is to say, okay, so where are we starting? What do we want to do next? And what are we going to do after that? And you continuously work through that. And as you do, you learn things. You release some code and people give you feedback, um, both because you ask them and oftentimes because you don't like the comments field or, you know, your customer service line. And you're able to take that and say, Oh, Hey, we really missed something over here. Let's pay attention to that for a while and let's solve that problem. Okay, great. Once you solve that, then you can keep going and you keep going. And it's that constant feedback loop. And it's the idea of the small bets placed often that allows you to make sure that you never get too far off track. And that shift from, you know, beginning, middle and end, and then see you later to we're in this for the long haul for making sure that this investment continues to deliver value both to the users and to the, you know, and to the company. Um, That's the big fundamental shift between that project and product mindset. 
I love that beginning, middle, end. See you later. I just wrote that down on my sheet. Uh, that's that's awesome. And, but you know, let's let's talk about this on a like a daily basis, or when you go in and you help yeah. companies. I mean, no CEO wakes up in, in the morning and says, "You know what we need to do? I think we need to shift from a project mindset to a product <laughs> mindset." I mean, it's it's a it's a concept, but nobody's thinking of it as as, no, as, as or, or even recognizes that that's. The end game. Yeah. Um, usually, we're we're brought into companies because there's some big initiative that they want our help in. And and and, and sure. when I've done this, you go and you say, "Does this make sense for Waterfall? Does this make sense for Agile?" Based on the application, we we pick a track. Mm-hmm. So, tell us a little bit about how you go in and help companies that are struggling with this right now. Well, so the first thing I I tell people is if they haven't started this at all is find a team to pilot it with, right? And so it may be a new idea, something that hasn't been built or something you're looking to replatform or, um, you know, or or try out. I, I usually caution people, this is not, you know, like an ERP implementation is not the time to try out product mindset, like to experiment <laughs> with it, right? Like that's probably not a good candidate, but maybe you've got an idea for, um, a new service offering or a new, you know, a new, even just a new section of the website or a new right. feature set that you haven't delivered before and you're not quite sure what the path forward is and, and find some people, you know, <laughs> get that, get assign someone into that product manager or product owner role and get them some training if they've never done this before. Right. Like people ask me all the time, can you take a project manager and turn them into a product manager? And my answer is, well, sometimes, I mean, it depends <laughs> on the person, right, and the mindset, but it certainly depends also on the training because the project manager used to be all about just making sure that, the that, you know, they were all about the when and the how, right? And, and a product manager has to be a little bit more upfront about, like, the what and the why, right? And so making sure that they get that skill set, I think, is, is kind of step one. Um, but I also think if you can pick a team to pilot this on, create sort of a little bit of a skunk, skunk works and give them some freedom to not just experiment with the model, but help develop a blueprint or a playbook for how you might roll this out later. Um, and I always say it's really important to give that team some accountability, not only to build the thing that you're trying to build, right, or to get through the, you know, the um, the work that the company needs, you know, that outcome, but also have some accountabilities on asking that team to help develop what does product mindset mean at this company? How are we going to do it here um, in our context? And, um, and you know, thinking about things, it's, it, it is product mindset is a or product management is a framework, right? There are tools, there are things like having really good product uh, vision and descriptions and a product taxonomy, you know, in terms of, well, what are our guardrails? What are the, what is the product? And you, you would be shocked how many times I ask that question and I get blank stares, right? Even with teams that are well-established, they can't describe what their product is because it's sort of this and sort of that, and it's not really this. And, and so getting really clear on that, having really clear measurement strategies, understanding how your meeting cadence, you know, your planning cadence, your executing cadence, and your sort of looking back and evaluating cadence, like those are seem really elemental, but those are the building blocks to getting a team to really get comfortable in the agility. And, you know, you probably, some, some of these companies have, you know, um, agile, uh, agile centers of excellence or agile coaches, either internal to the company or whatever. And, and those IT agile partners can help, but they're not going to get you all the way there because an, you know, so agile software development is not the same thing as product management. Mm-hmm. And so 
you know, the other thing I'll say, I would be remiss if I didn't say you can call someone like me to come in and help you evaluate this and bring in some of that outside expertise. And there's lots of there's lots of really good resources in terms of training and consulting that you can bring into a company to help you sort of accelerate that discovery to figure out what product management means in your context. Follow along, Jen, you trigger some, I love, by the way, you know, project management is the when and the how, you know, yeah. and the product is the what and the why. Um, so as, you th- as, as you've uh, led teams and, and are coaching other companies now, what are those core characteristics that I need if I'm going to be a good product uh, manager, even if I haven't been one before? What are the top things that come to mind that, I, that make me strong in that seat? Yeah, so I think um, there's a, there is a balance point between being really good in a, innovative thinkers, right? Um, and I've worked with lots of innovators over the years uh, who lack sort of the balance point to uh-huh. actually being able to uh, execute against an idea, right? Yeah. And I think somebody who can have um, you know play in both and play both sides of that coin, um, and and be self aware enough to know when they have to deploy which piece of it. So I always think about it as sort of a difference between there's balance points between um, input, like taking input from your customers and your business teams in the marketplace and action, knowing when you can like take all that information, the ability to synthesize it, and then be able to turn that into action to say, okay, I hear you. I got, I got what you're talking about. Right. Um, and there's a synthesis skill set. Mm-hmm. Of being able to know sort of what, you know, separating the signal from the noise, as they say. Yeah. And then and then it's about a flip into, and here's what we're going to do about it. Here's the prioritize roadmap, another tool of, of the product manager that says, this is where we're going. Again, our North Star is to deliver a better checkout experience or, you know, to create a new uh, engagement platform or create a new space where people can talk to each other. Whatever that is, it is then to say, and here's how we're going to get there. First, we're going to build this stuff because this is the most important and that's what's going to allow us to learn, right? That's the idea of the MVP. What's the least amount of functionality you can put out there to learn from to decide what to do next? And then we think it might be this, but we're going to come back and tell you what the next chapter looks like in the chapter after that because first we have to get this first book of workout and we're going to we're going to learn from it and we're going to decide what that means for where we go next. And that sort of ability to move from blue sky into planning, um, there's a lot of people out there who can do both of those things, but not everybody can. Well, and what I'm hearing you say is, and I've I've worked with, I've gotten the privilege of working with lots and lots of technical people who also have a very good business sense, meaning it's how does this apply? How do I make my business better? And what I'm hearing you say for that product manager, they've got that good understanding of the business and most importantly, and if we're going to do X, how does it matter to the customers that we serve? So. Yeah, and you know, Kathy, I'll add on to that too. People all the time to say, "How technical do I have to be to be a product yeah. manager?" Mm-hmm. And I always answer, "I know it's, it's terrible. It depends because if you have really strong technical partners, a really good strategic and business product manager can partner with a technical person, you know, sort of side by side, hip to hip, to be able to then design, you know, what that looks like from a technical perspective, and they can compensate for each other." Um, but in my mind, somebody who knows just enough about the technical architecture of the thing that they're building 
right? Yeah. You don't have to be able to to write code. You don't have to you, know, you don't have to be able to program the thing. You have to know enough about how something is built to know how it can be deployed to deliver value. And that is kind of I think the sweet spot. Yeah. And as a business leader, you you have to know that your three or four last minute changes have significant impact for your technology yeah. partners who have to rewrite yeah. all the code. So talk a little bit more about that. You've told me before you're technology agnostic, but yeah. how, how, tell a little bit more that the te- technology and how it centers with the people and the process part, how does all that fit together? Sure. Um, well, you know, product, as we've been talking about it, product really is that blend of people, process, and technology, right? Like, I haven't used those words yet, but there's, but I'm always thinking about all three of those things as I'm thinking about product. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about the people and the process because I think that's where a lot of businesses are struggling right now. And the technology piece um, is the reason why I'm technology agnostic is because I, my strengths and I, where I know a lot of companies are struggling is not in understanding how to build the thing. They've got really smart people uh, in, in their IT organization, great architects, good front-end developers, back-end developers, people who can like really think about how to create elegant technology solutions or integrations from third parties or anything else like that. But what that lack is, is in that people and process side of things. How do you bring that out of IT and into the rest of the business and handle all of that change management, all of that org design and process design piece? And so for me, my career has been always about, I can, I know I can learn the technology, uh, pretty quickly, and that I've got really strong partners who can help me learn that quickly. But that people and process piece for me, and and the role I play in in both when I was employed as a part of an organization and now as a consultant, is being able to say, let's figure out who knows the most about the technology piece, and then let's make sure that they can work effectively with people outside that IT organization. Um, no matter how long we have this conversation, I feel like I've been having this conversation for 20 years, there's still a big wall between IT and the rest of the organization. It's a mystery for a lot of people. It feels like something that they can't understand. And for me, I love learning about new new platforms and new technology. I've just taken a couple of projects in um, data visualization platforms, and I've never worked in that area before. But you know what? It's the same problems of how do you get the people who are the experts in the data modeling and the visualization and the people who are actually going to use it on a day-to-day basis to get in a room and speak the same language. And that translation and collaboration and sort of coalition building is really where I think there's a lot of art to be had. And that's where I tend to play. It's interesting you mentioned the, the technology agnostic part. I, I love that because I think it's it's a tricky uh, situation in the sense that you want your IT folks to really understand a certain technology really well, to be efficient at it, uh, and to get to market yep. quickly. But the problem is the more they know any one system, the more they're sort of tied to that system, uh, hammer looking for a nail. And sometimes we have to be willing to yep. burn the ships or, or switch switch horses or whatever yeah. the whatever the analogy is. <laughs> uh, that That's super tricky. Um, and I know that's hard for companies that you know, this is the tool we use and we're just going to, we're going to kind of ram it right in and make sure it might deliver half the thing we needed to do, but we could get it to market quickly. Um, double-edged, yeah. double-edged sword, I guess. Um, sure. And, and Jen, the other thing I wanted to, to tag on what you said, and, and Kathy and I, when we worked at Radisson at Carlson Companies, I used to love the fact that when we were in a meeting, when, when Kathy first hired me, we're going around the room, we couldn't always tell who the business people were versus the technology people. We had technology people who were business savvy. We yeah. had business 
uh, people who are technology savvy. And I think that's that's really where you, and and nobody's talking about platforms at that point. You know what I mean? So <laughs> no, that that's the, yes. that 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 was a cool environment uh, to work in. Right. You know, my um, so my dad is a, was a technology consultant. Mm. He started his his career back working um, for uh, Red Owl Grocery. <laughs> oh, I love throwback, it. Right from Minnesota. <laughs> Um, and, and so I grew up listening to him. He was a CIO at a number of different organizations and then found his way into law technology. And what I can, I still think about this on a daily basis is that technology is a tool. That is all it is. And if you, if you make the tool, you know, if you you make it the, the destination and not the journey, like it won't, it's never going to do the thing. It's not going to solve all the problems, how you use the tool really matters, right? How you choose to deploy that tool and the choices you make about how you train people or how you configure something or how you connect disparate systems, that is that is the magic that technology can bring. Just the technology of itself, again, the toaster that you plug in, it's not going to get you what you want. It's about how you choose to use it. And I think about that all the time because that, that ag- agnosticism that I have is really about, great, tell me what tool you're using. That's fine. Tell me what problem you're trying to solve. That's way more interesting and, frankly, much harder to articulate and figure out. And the magic of the technology helping you solve that problem, like that's what gets me out of bed every day. So, Jen, both you and Gino are are experts in this, but I'm thinking maybe some of our listeners aren't as familiar as I'm not as familiar with this thing called Agile. And I, you know, a lot of my clients too are coming and they need, well, we need, we're moving to Agile and we need to have individuals who are schooled in that. So help us out. Can you give us a, what, what exactly is Agile and how does it help a, a business get better? So this is, I'm sure I'm going, I'm going to get you hate mail on this one. <laughs> That's okay. But so agile, I always say, is it big A agile or little A agile? Because I think agility, just generally speaking, and and letting go of this idea of 18, 24-month kind of projects that are going to take you two years to, to see any, uh, any reality or any value from, um, like, that's not agile. Agile, for me, is a business process, again, different than the software development. So agile software development is a set of tools and frameworks and, and sort of meeting cadences that is very specific inside of software development um, that uh, has lots of ceremony to it and lots of buzzwords and, and lingo. And it is incredibly critical. And I do not mean to sort of uh, uh, undermine its importance in, in, in this, but to say agile, once you pull it out of IT, is about taking those same principles of small bets placed often and using it in marketing, using it in your operations. What would happen if we tried this little task? Well, let's not, you know, or if we change this thing in our business process, let's not like, you know, do, you know, change it for everybody right off the bat. Let's take a small group. Let's figure out what happens if we change it. What are the downstream implications? What do we learn from that? What are the other things we might do and be able to say, okay, it worked there. Then how do we, how do we apply it in other areas? Um, how do we roll it out broader? How do we make it have a bigger impact? It's it for me that I said, I've said it three times on this podcast already, but small bats placed often is for me, the core of agile. Now, you can use some of that framework and and um, cadence and ceremony and language 
that is used in agile software development, but they should not be confused or conflated, right? Agile software development is a very specific set of principles and activities that help get out small chunks of code faster so that they can be, you know, learned from. It's a continuous improvement cycle. But once you pull it into the business, it has a little bit more of a broader appeal, but it still fundamentally is about small bits of work in the marketplace, you know, whatever that marketplace is, faster so you can learn from it and you can keep things moving. So for me, that's really where that, that, you know, are we talking about agile as like the big A agile (laughs) or are we talking about agility? And, and I think in the business, again, it doesn't have to be an overwhelming uh, set of, well, we've got to do it precisely the way it's written about in this book. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. But, you know, I love it, big A and little A, and, but why it matters to the business, you know, as a business leader myself, whether you're a big company or a small company, is what I'm hearing you say, it allows you to iterate a whole lot faster, you yeah. know, learn something, apply it, fix it, maybe apply it to another part of your business. So it makes it very practical, both the technical platform as well as the application of right. it in a business right. to, to, to keep moving you forward that- in small steps. Right. And it's not to say that there's not discipline to that. There absolutely is. And there are frameworks that can help. I think it's just, um, I think some companies think you can just take a scrum master from your IT organization and have them teach your marketing organization how to, again, you know, air quotes, be agile. That is not what we're talking about, right? Like there are translations that you need to do to make it work in different parts of the business. But fundamentally, it really does have to shift your mindset and really, you know, again, back to things like finance and operations. How are you thinking about your business being agile in like smaller cycles rather than thinking about we're going to do this transformation that's going to take us two years um, and we'll let you know how it turns out when we get there. Right. That's a fundamental mind shift. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And by the way, we're going to have to hold Scrum and Scrum Master. We'll have to hold that for our next session because that's a, <laughs> I think that's a topic in and of itself. So right now, Jen, we are going to make a little pivot and okay. we are going to move to our action-packed segment of our show that we call Rapid Fire. Well, Gino and I are going to ask you some questions, series of questions. You give us your answers and, uh, and then we'll go from there. So are you ready? I am ready. All right, Jen, here's your first question. If you weren't a digital expert, what would you be? Um, I would be, I would be a professional host or MC. Um, they don't have a, they don't have them a lot here. But if you watch the um, Great British Bake Show, love it. The Mel and Sue versions, you know, they're like yeah. they're just the, like the host to have a little bit of like witty interchange and then hand it off to the people who really know what they're doing. Like that's what I would want to do. Okay, can I be your co-host on the? Sure, absolutely. Okay, <laughs> okay, uh, Jen, uh, Mac or PC? Uh, I am all Mac now that I'm out on my own, and I'm very happy to say that. <laughs> you, you've gone to the dark side, have you? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Jen, what three words do you use to describe yourself? Hmm. Um, all right. First word is joyful. I try really hard to cultivate joy in my life and to be a joyful person. Um, second word is authentic. And the third word is going to be uh, competence or competent. Cool. Uh, iPhone or Android? I am iPhone, as per mm-hmm. the uh, aforementioned Mac uh, total <laughs> lifestyle change that I made. <laughs> Apple stratosphere, huh? The whole deal? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. All right. And so uh, what is your favorite adult beverage? God, it's going to be so cliche, but rosé wine. 
really a good, nice, crisp rosé really gets the job done. Uh, how about if you could be if you could be great at any musical instrument, which one would it be? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, so my my first like the first answer is piano, mm-hmm. but I want something that's a little bit more portable than that because you know piano not very portable. So <laughs> guitar, like something I could you know take out and like we could sing at a campfire kind of a thing. All right, what is your most useless hidden talent? I'm really struggling with this question because I um I useless is what I get. Uh, tied up on because I feel like all my hidden talents are pretty useful. So <laughs> okay. I'm just what gonna, is I'm what gonna... is your most useful hidden talent? <laughs> hidden How about talent. that? I have developed a talent for baking bread. I made last night that was out of this world, and I wasn't even really trying, and it was really exciting for me. <laughs> awesome. Okay, here's here's a write-in question for you. It, okay. Assuming you don't have a tattoo on your arm, if you did have a tattoo on your arm, what would it say, or what would it be? <sighs> Okay, uh, <laughs> I would say be bold, have courage. Be bold, have courage. Love it. Thank you. Right. All right. And your final question from your point of view: Who is the absolute best band of all time? <laughs> the best band of all time. <sighs> that one is just so hard. So I'm more of a singer-songwriter person. So he's not a band; it's an individual. But I'm going to go with Paul Simon. There you go. All right. Great choice. All right. There you have it. That is Rapid Fire with Jen Swanson. Jen, unfortunately, you win absolutely nothing for playing our game, but it was a lot of fun and we appreciate it very much. You can go out and get that tattoo, though. I think that's a great idea. Oh, it's a great one. I could, right? She might already have it. We don't know. Uh, We're going to move into some wrap up questions (laughs) with you, Jen. Uh, This is something we ask everybody, and that is um, probably the biggest challenge of digital is how quickly things evolve. Uh, How do you stay current on all things digital? You know, it's a really great question. So um, I read a lot. I subscribe to a lot of newsletters. And I will tell you that like four days out of five, I just delete them without reading them. But um, sometimes, you know, when a when a headline catches my eye or whatever, I, I throw things into a folder and probably once a week or once a month, maybe some months, I go in and I read, I go through them and I, um, and I really find a lot of help just from like other industry leaders um, in the product space, places like um, there's the uh, uh, 280 group or, you know, Marty Kagan or some other mm-hmm. thought leaders that I really like. And I subscribe to them on Medium and LinkedIn and I, and I you know, read their, read their thinkings and their musings and that helps me stay current. Um, another thing I do is I really pay attention to my own digital experiences. So, um, you know, I just like everyone these days, I'm shopping online, I'm, you know, grocery shopping online, I'm ordering you know, meals to go online. I'm doing everything online. And and so when I have a particularly good experience that leaves me with that little thrill of like, God, that was great. I I actually will stop and pay attention and take notes on what was great about it. And I do the same when it's not so great. Um, And just to kind of keep myself fresh because I'm a consumer just like anyone else. And and then the last thing I do is I, I've created a little community of practice of other practitioners that I check in with and I ask about what are they doing and what are they working on and what's hard or easy in their life and, and their work. And I just try to stay connected that way. Um, and it's, um, that helps me kind of keep my finger on the pulse. I miss being in a 
company where you have that like kind of daily interchange, you know, again, you know, like at the water cooler or at the printer or whatever, where you can kind of hear about what's going on. That's my biggest thing I miss since going out on my own. But I find that if I can kind of touch base with that community of practice and be like, hey, what's going on? What are you working on? I can kind of hear about what other people are doing. That's funny that you say that because I'm a consultant as well. And, I, and so many of my clients say, oh, you can work from home or whatever. You know, this is obviously pre-COVID. And I right. always make sure that I work on site because I want to be there. I want to hear the conversations in the hallway. Yeah. I want to hear people waiting to go into a conference room and what they're yeah. complaining about or learn, learning about or whatever. It's so important to, to immerse yourself around people and just, just to hear the pain points. All right. Yeah, and isn't it interesting how how the distance, like the distant meetings now that we're having, are changing things? Like I found myself now when I can logging in a few minutes early, and other people are doing that too, yeah. and having those same kind of chats, right. like in right. Zoom or in Teams. Like I'm I'm getting some of that same stuff where I went, oh God, okay, I know That's that good. person's working on something. I'll touch base with them later. That sounds cool. great. So, Jen, if our listeners do want to get a hold of you and chat with you or just learn more, what is the best way for them sure. to contact you? Well, the first thing I'll tell you is I have a website. I know that's not a shocker. So it's yeah. jenswanson.net. So okay. it's Jen with one N and Swanson like the TV dinner dot net. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then on LinkedIn, that's another place probably that's the easiest to follow me and where I'm probably the most active. And that is. Uh, J.G. Swanson is is who I am. Jennifer Geldman Swanson, okay. Geldman being my maiden name. So um, it, it, I'm really the only Geldman Swanson on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn <laughs> so it shouldn't be hard to find. All right, great. And we will put both your uh, URL for your web uh, website as well as that uh, information in the show notes so people will be able to reach great. you and see it there. So with that, Jen, thank you so much. Uh, just fascinating discussion. Love your orientation and that shift from project to product management, and we really appreciate you joining us, you know? Yeah, great to great to finally meet you, Jen. <laughs> You're wonderful. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much, you guys. Well, Gino, I've known Jen Swanson a long time, and I knew she was full of great advice and just wonderful, wonderful concepts. What what were some of your key takeaways? Oh, there were so many. Uh, you know, the the first one that struck me is when I asked her about what what, what are the upside opportunities for companies that, that would ever take on this digital transformation um, evolution, if you will. The funny thing is so many times we think of trying to, you know, kind of catapult our business into the future, into a new way of doing everything. And her answers were very fundamental. I mean, she talked about, like, We'd love to get to a place where we're meeting customer expectations, possibly even exceeding them. She talked about um, that happy employees make happy customers and and to have your employees be part of your your brand. Um, and that notion of, of ma uh, realizing the ROI on your IT investment. So it wasn't like game changing. It's almost like I wrote down in my notes table stakes. Yeah. And but to get to those table stakes we got to take on this digital transformation stuff. You know, Jen is one of those special people who really understands the operation and the technology side of things, but also has such a good sense of mm -hmm. applying it to the business. And what I liked about, you know, she broadened our thinking too. So often you get digital transformation as it relates to a B2C or a B2B customer experience. Mm -hmm. And she expressed the importance. It's also all about that employee experience and how do you use digital tools and platforms right. to make right. it easier for right. your employees to do what they do so they can delight those customers. Totally, totally. You know, the second thing, and I'm sure this is on your list, is that notion of moving from, from project to a product focus. And uh, some of those, those quotes that she said, like, you know, projects end, but products endure. Um, 
you know, so many times I've, I've worked on massive website projects where, you know, the, the client at some point is like, I can't wait for this thing to be over so that I can go back to my day job. And I'm like, no, no, that, you know what, Jen's right. Because what did she say? She's like, uh, begin, uh, middle, end, move on. And like, so many of the clients want to move on. And I'm like, no, you need to care and feed for these things. They need to live on. And maybe changing the mindset uh, from, from it being a project to a product will, will help that. Well, I think the other big part of that is this small bets placed often, which mm. you did say a number of times. And mm-hmm. as for the business leaders, again, whether you're running the division or running the whole company, that has such power because it is daunting to think about this really long-term, really expensive thing called digital transformation. Mm-hmm. So the small bets placed often and agile and other things allow you to say, let's pick one business problem, right. let's apply some tools, let's get some business application, let's try it, see if it works and move on. So it's much right. more palatable, I think, as any of us who have been in the seats where you're trying to present concepts to senior leadership to get funding, you can present it now in a new way to say, you know, I don't need $2 million. Give me right. 200000 Let's see. Let's see if we can uh, get some of these things to work. Right, which is a total shift. I mean, that notion, old school, you know, waterfall where we're going to take nine months to build something or a year plus to build something. Um, just be patient. You know, not, you're not going to see anything. And when we're done, we're gonna, it's going to be perfect. Uh, that this notion of with Agile, you can kind of chip away at it, small bets placed often. I love that. I also love that she talked about Agile, big A, little A, um, because I think sometimes unless you're following that Agile software methodology uh, or software development methodology, a lot of companies don't get that Agile uh, spirit um, outside the outside of a, of a, of a of a software development effort, like she mentioned, the impact on moving your marketing department toward a more agile approach or even operations or, or finance. Yeah. Well, and I've been in really big companies. I've been in, now I run a very small company or smaller company. And that idea of agility is something mm-hmm. the small companies can teach the big ones, you know, because you are more adaptive and you can move maybe faster. But I also like her final, your, her opening comment, you know, digital and digital transformation supports the strategy, moving from that to actually it being the business strategy. Because right. in today's yep. world, and we don't have nine months to wait. Nobody can predict what nine months from now is going to look like. Right. Yeah, it's it's a to, it's a total shift, and 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 you need leadership. It goes back to some of our our other guests about it being um, bold and leaders to to realize where you need to get to, and 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 that environment and that philosophy just kind of has to push right through the organization to to make that change. All right. Well, thanks, Gino. Another fascinating episode. I'm glad we were with it together. Yeah, big fun. Thanks, Kath. Thanks for joining us for this episode of In the Key of D, Using Digital to Transform Your Business. I'm your host, Kathy Hollenhorst. And I'm your co-host, Gino Giovanelli. And again, we would like to thank our sponsor, Creatus, who is making this and every episode of In the Key of D possible. To learn more, go to our website, creatus.com, that's C-R-E-A-T-I-S dot com forward slash podcast. And if you liked today's episode, please be sure to subscribe to In the Key of D and tell your friends. You can subscribe on any major podcast platform. Thanks for listening to In the Key of D. And now for the encore. Hold your applause, please. We can't leave without thanking the rest of our band who helped make this podcast really sing. Keeping us in the right key is rock and roll producer, musical polyglot, and recording wizard Tom Forlitti. All right, it's Forlitti, but whatever. Helping us harmonize the web and digital elements is our content and marketing troubadour, Seth Conover. Our podcast coordinating conductor is Christina Seeger. Our theme song is written and performed by Marco Giovanelli, which is played, unsurprisingly, in the key of D. 
And last but not least, thanks to my partner in crime who's been helping me make music for more than 20 years, Gino Giovanelli. And I'm Kathy Hollenhorst. Thanks for listening. <laughs>